0: Hey there! Welcome to Board Game Hot Takes, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. My name's Tim.
1: And I'm Chris. This is Adam.
0: And we're going to give our hot takes on the game that we just finished playing, Vindication. As always, I'm going to give a brief description of the game, and then we'll jump in with our thoughts. In Vindication, you find yourself washed up on an unknown island after having been thrown overboard by your crew because of your past deeds. Now you have the chance to start fresh and regain your honor in a place where nobody knows you and where your past actions can be forgotten. Using a combination of engine building, area control, and action selection, you will compete with your opponents to become the most honorable scumbag on the island. On your turn, you'll take three actions. Activate a companion, which are unique cards added to your tableau. Travel, moving your player pawn to a new spot on the board, which will allow you to access some specific map locations. And activating a map location, using the unique action for one of the locations adjacent to you. Many of the action costs are paid for using one of six different attributes that can be generated by moving cubes from an influence pool on your player board to one of the six attributes pools on the main board or by combining some attributes to become other more rare attributes. Most of the actions you're taking will be with the ultimate goal of gaining honor, which can be achieved in many ways. The game ends when one of the random endgame triggers that has been revealed through the course of the game is met and the player with the most honor is the winner. Vindication was designed by Mark Needlinger and published by Orange Nebula. So let's jump into our discussion. Adam, why don't you start, uh, give us your take on the mechanisms of the game.
1: The mechanisms of vindication. So one thing that's kind of interesting to me about vindication is the first of all, you start the game out and you're kind of exploring the map. The map is blank. So all these kind of pseudo worker placement, I guess, worker adjacent places you can go to. They're not revealed yet. It's uh, the same set of 16 or so tiles or something like that that are going to be revealed throughout the course of every game but you're not sure about where they're going to be situated so that's kind of interesting a little bit of variable start but it's not right at the start you're kind of exploring as opposed to dealing out which so that's kind of different for me that's kind of a new mechanism that i can't think of uh many other games that that like that has kind of exploration and set the map as you go i guess like your forexes have that and stuff too but Go ahead Tim
0: yeah I, I do like I, I like this because um, one of the one of the the general mechanisms is that essentially it's a variable action selection game right and so um, every turn you're taking you're doing three things um, and there's a lot of things you can do in the game but your three things are very specific actions and one of the things that the game does is it sets some restrictions on which actions you can take in any turn so uh, one of the actions being select a place on the on the map board, and um, basically what that does, it sets you up to limit which of those actions you can take. So you don't have too many decisions to try to make. Anyway, getting back to your point about the variable map board, what, what's interesting about that is that I noticed, you know, we played a couple games of this now. And the way that the map ends up getting laid out really changes the flow of the game. The first time we played it, it felt like the map was pretty spread out. You know, the buildings that are duplicates were kind of all over the board. You could do almost anything you needed to with with, you know, the movement that you can generate in a turn. And this one was a lot different. This one, it was like, we ended up having most of the duplicate tiles ended up pretty close together, close to each other. If you wanted to do, you know, one specific thing, like, you know, visit an inn, you had to go on one side of the board. But if you wanted to, you know, visit the monastery, you had to go all the way to the other side of the board. And you really couldn't do both of those things within, you know, one turn of each other because of the way the board came out. So that was just one thing, you know, one specific thing about the board being variable laid out that it really changed how we could even interact with the with the game from that perspective.
2: Yeah, that was actually really interesting that you mentioned that because that was one of the things that I remember from the first time we played this game was that one of the main um, sort of engine-building aspects is this one tile called the inn where you get to get additional companion cards. And everybody needs to do that. And so I think maybe you and one other person, I forget who, controlled the two ends, so you really had to keep kind of throwing points at, you know, at you guys to use those ends. Whereas this time you had two of them right next to each other. So it was, and then there was another one across the board, but uh, you know, because there was the two right next to each other, you had more options. So even if, you know, you didn't want to, I mean, you, you were, gonna, even if you had to throw a point that somebody, you kind of got to pick who you were throwing those points at and you could do that strategically.
0: Yeah. And, and uh, that, you know, that part of it, uh, which is kind of interesting, the area control of this game is that anytime after you use or wherever you end your, your, um sp- once per, t- per turn, you can give up some of your uh, attribute tokens off your board. I figure what the pool is called, but it's basically... What, what's that called? What's the... Uh,
1: you got the influence is in the middle, yeah. and the left is your potential, and then the right side is your... Conviction. Conviction. Thank you.
0: So from the conviction pool, which is kind of hard to get cubes up there, right? There's only a couple ways to move them up, but at the end of your... Um, or, or sometime during your turn, you can use one of those conviction cubes, and you can put it out on a space on the board that you're going to use. Um, And so that's pretty simple. It's, it's not that complicated to use and it ends up being worth end game points, but there's a couple of neat things about that. One is that when somebody else wants to use that same space, they have to, you get, you basically get two victory points or honor points in this game for it. And so that's a clever decision. Oftentimes I found myself not wanting to use a space that I had planned to use or that I would really like to use just because I didn't want to give you guys extra victory points, even if it might've benefited me more. And so there was a lot of combating, because then you can also spend two conviction to take that space away from somebody. And if you have the conviction available before you take the action, you can actually do it before you have to take the action. So there ends up being a lot of uh, combating for that little thing and and a lot of energy and, and time spent into kind of moving things to conviction just so that you can control those spaces on the board and try to prevent from giving people two, you know, extra two points. I don't I wonder if you if we played this game a lot more, if you would maybe there isn't that much negative of giving somebody a couple points, you know, like you really want to spend two conviction to take that away just so that they don't get two points, especially if you're only going to use that tile once, you know, but at least for right now, it always felt like, yeah, I don't want them to get the two points. I'm going to go through the extra effort of building up the
1: conviction and and take that away from them. So kind
0: of an interesting way to do area control.
1: Yeah, it is. That's one. I think I kind of overlooked. I didn't, it, it didn't feel much like an area control game to me I guess there is that aspect of the is a very light area control I guess because what you can control you get two points per control per area controlled at the end of the game
0: at the end of the game at the end of the
1: game and then if you want to take over somebody else's you got to spend four points worth of conviction potential points
0: how how is it calculated
1: into potential points I guess conviction is worth if you use those in order to control an empty space that would be two points right there.
0: Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Cause you could just leave them out in other places on the board. Yeah, absolutely right. Yep.
1: You could just leave them on an empty space for two points. So you're spending four points to get potentially four points to get two points. So it's a nice trade off. It's you know, something you have to think about. It's kind of nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And and you're right. I mean, it it it's not really an area control game, obviously, but that's just one more place where you can get points and kind of, you know, get a interact. It's I guess it's one of the few ways that you're actually interacting with people in this game. Yeah. Um, But it is an interesting set of decisions that come out of it. Uh, Adam, you mentioned you don't really think about an area control game. Maybe that's why you stepped all over us. (laughs) and I I wasted all my time trying to control the board.
1: Well, no, it's funny. I didn't really think about it much as an area control until you said something. I was like, I guess that was area control a little bit. Very, very light. And you touched on it. The interaction. That's one of my favorite parts to talk about with games. So aside from a little bit of light blocking and then that light area control, what other I don't know, Chris, Do you see any other? help me out with any other kind of interaction. No, it, it's pretty lightweight.
2: I mean, there's the, the little bit of blocking and then there's the little bit of, you know, deciding whether or not you want to do something good for you. If it gives points to somebody else, which is, I mean, it's not insignificant. I mean, Steve uh, was playing. You who know, was our, our fourth in the game had a, a space that I need to use and I, and he was way in the back. So I was like using that space with a band and I was like throwing points at him. Then of course at the end, he skyrocketed ahead. Now, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know that those points are the ones that got him the the uh, second place, but you know, certainly made a difference.
0: Well, he was, he, he was throwing points at me and I ended up way in last. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know what that meant. But like, there there's one other area of, uh, of um, interaction and that's basically, you know, whoever controls the mastery at the end of the game um, and that can be a pretty significant points. So you know basically the mastery means like you're bi- you're building up a tableau of cards, whether it's by defeating monsters, which are you know orange cards or whether it's by um, hiring uh, different characters um, you know that are different colors, red, red, blue, or yellow, et cetera. But basically whoever has the most cards of a given color at the end of the game is master has mastery. And so it's, I think it's either worth five points or seven points depending on which color it is. And so that can be some decent points. So there, that's one other place for interaction. I was watching for it. I just wasn't in contention at all, but I could see that Adam was going to kill us by taking two mastery tiles. And, you know, I really didn't have any opportunity to catch up to any of you guys at the end there. So there was an opportunity to compete, not like Adam kind of had that run away with, but Chris and Steve were pretty close on a couple of colors and they could have, they could have competed. So it's one worse spot, you know, to watch for interactions, not major.
1: And not to tip my hand, that's something I just kind of stumbled on. I wasn't even thinking about that. And all of a sudden I just worked for my engine that I was building. So had, uh, you know, three purples and two green. So, yeah, a little bit of set collection helped out with some in-game points there.
0: Chris, yeah. any, uh, any specific mechanisms that you um, want chat to chat about first?
2: Yeah, I was going to mention two of them, one that I did like and one that I didn't. Uh, the, for the one that I did like, I really enjoy the, uh, the companion cards that are a, a big part of this game. And that's kind of like your little crew. You know, if you're adventurers, this is your crew. And each turn you get an opportunity to use one of your companion cards or your main card. Basically, you're going to activate a character and each one has a unique ability and some of them are pretty interesting and you can really create some pretty decent combos. Like, I think there's one thing that kind of saved me in this game that got me, you know, third instead of last was uh, the fact that I had a couple cards that I was able to combo with nicely where by the time I was done, I actually had to play three characters just by, you know, starting this first character and then it comboed to another, then it comboed to another. And I like that. That's a neat, that's a neat mechanism. Um, The one I didn't care for so much is the, uh, the six different resources that you're using in the game. And I guess, you know, nothing novel about the idea in a game like this of having the resources but these struck me as so abstract and too many of them, were it just it felt kind of fussy, uh, especially that there's, there's three standard and then there's three that you have to add other resources to get to those resources. And, you know, I just, it doesn't, that one I did not find as engaging. I felt like I, it felt so fractured because there's so many things you have to do that takes so many resources and there's so few of them available that it just like I said, it felt kind of fussy and unsatisfying to me.
0: Yeah, I um I think that so the combos, you mentioned the combos with your characters, and that was awesome. It was actually really fun t- for me to watch the combos that you were pulling off every turn, Chris. And it was fun for me to watch the combos that Adam was t- was pulling off with like the the character that let him put um you know extra influence on his relics and then he could pull the relics off for points and like you guys both had some really interesting stuff going on. Um so that's you know that's one of the neat aspects of this game is that because every card is unique in each of the six different decks. And that's if you're just playing with the base game and none of the extra modules, that's a, that's a lot of variety. Um, And that's really where all the, all the variety comes in the game. You know, for the most part is just those cards that, that come up. Um, But the problem with it is like you said, it's very abstracted. And so they've, they've got a really neat, uh, it's, it's a really neat elegant idea that basically you just have these cubes of your color. And they're sitting there available to use and you can do anything with them. You can put them out on a building to control the area. You can put them on a character to get its benefit. You can put them, um, you know, you can put them out um, on the, you know, basically like you can give them up for different things. Like the, Jason, those cubes do everything. But the problem, the problem, I think, and why it feels so abstracted is because that's all they are. They're just little cubes. they are just moving around in different spaces on the board. And um, and so it's kind of neat that you've got this this tool that you can really do anything with and kind of use it how you want to. It's very sandboxy. You know, it's like, hey, I want to go and fight monsters all day today. I can do that. But this other person wants to go and, you know, um, become vindicated and uh and just build up their mastery of, of blue. You know, like you can really go different directions just with this one square cube, you know, this little this cube of your color. But it's kind of boring that it's just cubes of your color that you're just moving around the board.
1: Amen to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll jump in and I'll say one aspect of board games that i like in general is i don't know it's necessarily a named mechanic but combo building i think that's part of the discovery yeah. and joy so you know you're digging through this constructed yeah. group of cards and you see oh this this will work good with this one and this one here so that kind of discovery and finding a little combo that works together and uh, that's neat so you can you know in the different ways those work or over a series of games find those new uh, organizations of cards you haven't seen before so that was i mean this is only my second time playing but to find a little something like that 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 worked out was, mm-hmm. was fun
0: yeah yeah absolutely yeah that's that's one of the most interesting things about the game i think yeah one other thing that you mentioned chris about it just being a little fiddly and uh, abstract is aside from the influence being able to be used to kind of activate any card and building out on the board but it's also the fact that the influence is used in those three pools on your player mat and and that's it's it almost like it adds an extra little thing that you have to mess with that isn't that fun to deal with to, to me. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it, it reminds me of like maybe the one aspect of Gaia project that can be a fun little puzzle, but that doesn't really get me psyched up. And that's the power pools in Gaia project, you know, um, where you're, you're having to move the power around in, in certain situations and so that if you get enough in the right place and you can get benefits out of it. So maybe if they didn't have that, then this just would be too, simple, you know, like there just wouldn't be that much of a puzzle if you're just moving cubes around. So maybe it adds that little bit extra, but I just don't find that piece of it that enjoyable to, you know, kind of like just waste actions just to try to figure out how to get cubes from one pool on my board to another pool on the board. It's just not that fun to do.
2: That's a good comparison. I actually, um, I I was thinking of that same comparison and I thought Gaia Project did it better. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: I agree. That's one, that was one thing, as you're saying that, Tim, I'm like, yeah, Tim nailed it uh, because... (laughs) you have, for me, you know, you have this, it starts on the left with potential and you can slide your potential over to influence and you can slide your influence over to conviction. And for me, I just had this, you know, I don't know how many, eight, nine cubes sitting there in potential that were just teasing me. I couldn't use They're just sitting there and throwing cubes back into the potential. So I'm just like, uh, I'm working with like really four or five cubes the whole game. And there's this whole pile of cubes. I see everybody else is just having a cube party or I'm just working with like, again the minimum amount of cubes so it's just kind of it's frustrating to see all those cubes out there that you can't do anything with
0: yeah interestingly though Adam I think you actually because of that you ended up actually being really efficient with it because if you looked at my board at the end of the game you know I I had a, a reason one of my cards kind of motivated me to want to um, be vindicated and flip my main character over so I really worked to get all my cubes out of the uh, potential and into the influence sphere. Right. So I'm, I'm sitting there with like 15 cubes in my influence sphere. And then another thing wanted me to push all the influence into whatever that top pool is. Again, I keep forget the name of it, but conviction. And, um, and so at the end of the game, I was sitting there with like, I don't know how many cubes there are 18 cubes sitting on my player map between those two things, but that meant that they weren't used, you know, they weren't sitting out on characters, like I'd activated them. So you didn't have a bunch to work with, but you kind of used them as much as you needed to, you know, like, even if it wasn't fun. So, I mean, it's just it kind of interesting. Like you felt like you were struggling with it, but I almost think you probably did it well by not wasting your time just pulling all this stuff and not using it, which is what I added up. Well, you
1: did win. So, so. Not, not
0: necessarily good or bad, but just that's kind of how the game played out this time.
1: One thing I did like, and it is fiddly, and this, but you got your, you know, your colors that you're changing. So, I think it's primaries, right? So, your blue and your yellow that you're changing into a, a green. Great. So you just yeah. t- you do take those two cubes, you turn it into a more powerful cube, and boom, that one cube pops back over to your influence. That was kind of nice. You take you know, and you can do that as a free action any time during the game. So if you do have a a whole bunch of cubes out there, you can just trade them into these you know hypothetically more powerful colors, and then that frees up a bunch more cubes to use. And you can do that. I guess the timing of when you do that and being able to kind of do that at any time during your turn that was. That was nice and I think I used that pretty well.
0: Yeah, cool. Yeah, I and I just I'll go back and reiterate because you guys both touched on it, but what I think actually makes this game is the variety of cards and the combos you can get out of them. Like that's what the game is all about. That's what's fun to me. So, I wanted to bring that up again because I've kind of been talking about a little, you know, a few things that weren't that I wasn't super hot on, but I, I actually, you know, still really liked the game. I still had a fun time playing it, and I think it's all driven by the cards that are available and what you can figure out to do with them. So, I just you know I don't want to let that go like that that is still done in a really interesting way even if some of the other elements to it are a little clunky in my opinion. All right, any other uh, comments on mechanisms?
1: Nope, none. None for me.
0: All right, so let's jump over to the production, um, and I want to start with production because, uh, and I'll just I'll bring up one to start with, but I have several comments on production here. Vindication was a game that I saw uh, back when it first came up on Kickstarter, and really had me intrigued. Like, I liked the concept. I liked the story behind this Euro game. Like the idea that you're a scumbag, and you know you got thrown off your boat, and you got to you're on this island, you got to discover and do all this stuff, right? But for some reason, I don't know if it was Orange Nebula that made this decision, or or if the designer originally did. But for some reason, they've done so many things with the production here that seemed to be done just for the purpose of being unique, but that but aren't really that functional. And and the thing that stood out to me when I first checked out the Kickstarter, you know, several years ago and it ended up turning me off on it is the board layout and the way that you move around the board, right? Okay. So if you haven't seen this, this board, it's basically a hexagon board. And in the middle, you know, on the outside of the board is where you place the cards and there's, you know, it's basically six sided because it's, it supports each of the six different, attribute pools and the the card pools and I'll get back to the attribute pools being on the main board. But if you look at inside of that, then there's a more mini hex and it almost looks like a Chinese checkers board, right? It's like a little grid with triangles. And then Mm. in between each triangle is a little hex uh, space. Um, And what it ends up looking like is just an abstracted Chinese Mm. checkerboard or a chessboard or something like that. And it doesn't actually feel like a map in any way, especially once you get the building tiles out there. So that is like that it's like that and like a dozen other things that I'll come back to after you guys have a chance to talk about production decisions that make the board. I mean, you know, it's different. It's different than what you've seen in other places, but it's not, it's not really good. You know, like it's not, I, I would, I think it could have been so much cooler if it was a board where you actually, maybe the, you know, I don't know if the locations were like laid out in a little different way, even if it was a little harder to track what locations you could touch, but if it felt like a real map instead of just, just a chessboard. You know, that, that, that was, that's the number one thing that really turned me off in the, on the game when I first saw it.
2: Yeah. I, I love that you said that it's like Chinese checkers with Dungeons and Dragons characters on it. Basically.
1: <laughs> yeah, I agree. The, you know, the board is, it, it's a hex grid with some triangles in there and it, I don't know why that is a off. A it's
0: all right. Chris, anything from you that you, that you, you know, want to call out on the, on the production?
1: Yeah. Well, I want to,
2: I want to second what you said, because I agree with that. And I think this is also the place where I get to talk about theme because that's all I ever want to talk about <laughs> is the theme. And you know, like you said, it's, it, it's very abstract. And I think you you were being my game therapist one time and you were like, Oh you I don't think you like abstraction. And I, ever since you said that, I'm like, I think you're right. I think I don't like abstraction. It's like for anybody who's seen that, you know, the, the Disney movie, the Pixar movie, um, uh, inside out where they like go into the world of abstraction and the characters all turn into these like weird shapes. And I'm like, yeah, that, that just doesn't, it's not that appealing. I like the story and you kind of hit it on the head with, you know, it sounds, it sounds really interesting. Yeah. You're on this Island and you're a scumbag and you got dumped there by your crew. And then I'm going to move a bunch of cubes around. I mean, you know, I just, it, it sounds interesting to start with, but then there's no story to it. I, I, and production can make such a difference there because just something as simple as, like I'll take Scythe, for example, where it has the cool little tokens for different types of resources, which is not just scythe, but a million different games. But you know, having those things actually look like what they are and to have the map look like a map. So it's not just a big grid. And all of those things can, you know, either serve to bring you into a story or take you out of a story and while there's a lot of there's a lot of cool mechanisms here i just feel like the production really takes you out of the story and and i just found that a little bit unappealing
1: yeah go ahead adam well said chris yeah well said chris um i i totally agree that the art and production for me of a board game is part of the kind of the total stimulus package and so you're getting you know the mechanics of the game, the puzzle of the game, is something that stimulates you. The interaction with the other players is something that stimulates you. The the art of the game is something that's you know visually stimulates the brain as well as you know amongst other things. So it, it's just kind of a blend in the mixing of the production and theme, like you said, Chris, is just you are moving around cubes, hopping around location, location, trading this for that. And that's it's a hundred percent. Mediocre.
2: Yeah. At risk of being too down on it, though, I do want to say the I actually thought the art on the cards was nice. I think one of you guys mentioned that. I did like that.
0: Yeah. It is good. I was just going to mention that too. I mean, that's where all like the, the art is beautiful and every mm-hmm. card is unique. And, and the characters, if you focus on them, do tell a story. Um, you know, like if you, and it, I, I saw that happen a couple of times tonight where it was kind of fun where the character would do something and, and I'd be like, oh, hey, that character just, you know, did that. Like that guy really likes to do that thing, you know, so you can kind of get a story out of it. So that's there, but um, the production otherwise doesn't really support it. You know, here's the deal, right? Like I like Euro games and I'm glad that this is a Euro game. About adventuring on an on a fantasy island versus a euro game like you know farming on the coast of the Mediterranean, right? So I still like that it it took some euro game mechanisms and put a fun wrapper on it, even if the wrapper doesn't carry through to the theme. So so I I won't be too down on that piece of it, but I do just agree that some of the some of the production decisions don't necessarily support that that story and that theme as much as I think they they could. Okay. I do. I have a couple more things. So, so again, and I I just want to go back to some of the, what I think are strange decisions that are make the game unique, but they don't really help the game. One of the things I really don't like is when you have, you have stuff going on on the main board that doesn't need to be doing that. And, And in this case, it's the fact that your attribute tokens are all controlled in the six spots around the main board. I think it would have been a lot less fiddly, a lot easier to track what you've got available to use if they were on a player board in front of you, right? I don't. There's no reason why I should be reaching across the board, getting in front of what you're trying to look at on your turn and moving my tokens around I just don't understand why that's there. I mean, it gives it a little symmetry, you know, because then the colored cards are near. It kind of ties, you know, everything with one attribute or, you know, trait together. All the purple stuff is on one part of the board, et cetera. But I think if you just have uh, six little, um, you know, circles on your board that represented the pools and you were just moving your own tokens around, it just would have been a lot smoother. It would have been a lot less fiddly. You know, so that's that's one more thing that's always bothered me just a little bit about just interacting. It's not just about the look of the game, but it's it's interacting with the game um, that's more challenging than it needs to be. And then the last thing that the last thing that really bugs me is the player pawn that's moving around the board. Yeah, well
1: said, agreed. Uh,
0: you know, like you cannot if you saw the physical production of this game, everything about everything about the production is high quality materials. But having a little metal token, because even in our case, they're colored, right? Like in the, we were using table uh, tabletop simulator tonight, right? So it's like a little colored flag looking token, but it doesn't represent a character. It doesn't represent anything at all. But in the physical production, they're each little metal tokens. Like, so metal's cool to use, but it's a metal token that doesn't represent like anything. It's got like a symbol for your character or something like that. So, you know, the expansion that came out for it, I think it was, um, I forget, like something in Allies. Anyway, there's an expansion that came out, and they actually gave little uh, player standees that match the the wretched card, you know, your character card that's in front of you. And even that works a lot better. But they did so much in production here. Yeah. You know, why not throw you know, a mini? You know, it's 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 four care four four players. Throw four minis in the box, or five, or however many players it supports, and that would have just been such a much better. Like visual presence on the board, and a much better way to see who's who versus just this little banner thing on the board. So, yeah, really good point. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, but again, I'll, I'll say, like, you know, Orange Nebula, they do a great job with the physical components in a, in a game. And if you looked at it, the, the physical box of this game has um, really great game trays. Each player has their individual game trays with everything stacked in there. Like everything is really nicely packaged. I just don't understand some of the decisions for the layout and the production and things like that. All right, let, so let's move on uh, past production. Um, do you guys have a favorite moment in the game? Uh, anything for you, Chris?
2: Yeah, there was. Uh, well, it's kind of a another I- ironic moment uh, where you know there was that thing I was mentioning before where Steve, uh, with, you know, Steve was in in the rear of the game at the kind of a halfway point, and I just said, you know what. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to give points to either Steve or Tim. And Tim always comes from way in the back or way in the front and just, you know, rockets to victory. So I'm like, you know what? <laughs> Steve's way behind. So I'm just I'm gonna throw a few points his way. And I'm like, yeah, I don't have to worry about him this time. And so there I am, like going to his spot over and over and over again. And then as we kind of closed in at the end, I was like, ah, crap. That was, that was not, that was not smart, underestimated him, but it was, I, I appreciated that, uh, he took advantage of that and, and um, several other things and just ran with it. And, and I came in with a big, strong second.
0: Nice. I like how I half the time when we're talking about our favorite moments of the game, we're always talking about somebody else's successes. I don't know. It's it's still so fun to me to see other people do something cool in a game. Like I don't even care if, it, if it's not me winning. It's just fun. It's better when it's me doing it. But, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right all right what about i think it's more you know I, I actually think it's more memorable sometime when someone else is doing it and you're like oh crap how'd they pull that off let me make sure they're not cheating yeah. if i'm doing it i'm just like okay i plan that out for for you know 15 minutes i'll execute it and then move on and i've forgotten that that i did it uh what yeah. about you Adam? any uh any particularly favorite moments or stand-up moments of the game
1: man i wish i had something i ended up i had some nice combos but again that was just kind of it was just kind of ho-hum for me. I just kind of stumbled upon it and I had, I had these combos in front of me. I was trading this cube to get some points here. And then I had the, the pumpkin man, man with, with the jacked abs. <laughs> <laughs> like, and he was pumpkin man with jacked abs was, was throwing a pumpkin somewhere and he was getting me like two extra points every time. So I just stumbled on some combo and I got a bunch of points and I won. And that was, I didn't have that intense, like, you know, there wasn't like the, on the edge of my seat kind of feeling or yeah. anything. I just was, I just, I just got a lot of points. Yeah. Well, I think, I think we
0: let you get too far ahead. So there was no tension at all. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know we were going to win. But I,
2: I want to make a comment about something that Adam just said. And it's, it's actually, it's it, to go back, but it's one of the things that I actually liked in the cart art. There's some weird ass stuff happening in there. <laughs> and that kind of makes it interesting. Like this card, I think it was called Perseverance. And it is. It's this guy with this super jack you know, super jack six pack, and he's carrying this gigantic pumpkin. And I'm like, what the hell is this?
0: <laughs> it's really per- perseverance. Oh man, he's, he, he's ready to make it the Halloween. He's
1: ready. Uh, that was. I don't know. I just that, that that tickles me to death. When you hear the word perseverance, you don't think of a jack <laughs> guy throwing a pumpkin somewhere. That's not what. <laughs>
2: No, but I like I I like the imagination that comes up with that.
0: All right, well, I I didn't have any you know particular standout moments, but I did. I was I mean, there I think like seeing you guys do really well was fun to me tonight. I saw some fun combos going out there. Uh, Steve at the end getting twenty points for his monster uh, end game bonuses was pretty awesome. I hadn't been tracking exactly what he's going to get bonuses for, and I was like, oh yeah, everyone will get like you know four to six points per monster. And he ended up getting like. 16 points i think with one of his monsters that was cool to see but yeah n- nothing else that really stood out to me all right so let's jump into the big question would you
1: request to play this game again and i'll start with you adam i would not request to play this game again it's uh it's 100 like i said earlier 100 percent mediocre for me it's it's not horrible uh but it's not something that gives me that that emotion i'm looking for in board game. the stimulus package my brain's not churning i'm not like oh excited to play this game i'm not Sending gifts to my buddies about with stupid Cthulhu guys on it, like getting pumped up for the game.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> with, after we played the first time, did you
0: feel a little hotter on it after the first play? Um, I, I thought that you actually requested this one, but um,
1: I was I wanted to because of the production and actually. By the way, I'm looking at pictures on Board Game Geek now. They do have some pretty cool looking minis that maybe come out in subsequent. Yeah, I'll I'll talk to you about that in a second. I'll tell you about that. Yeah. Okay, okay. So yeah, I wanted it, i have been wanting to try it out since the Kickstarter. I thought it looked cool. I wanted to give it a shot. But after playing it a couple times and then looking at the price tag on it, it's around ninety bucks. You know, eh, it's just it's yeah, totally like ho hum. So let me uh, tell you one of the reasons why it costs 90 bucks
0: is you see those huge uh, minis that are in the box, right? And that that comes in the base box. There's five huge, uh, I think they're called monuments. The only time they're used from what I understand is that they're used. um, There's one of the little modules where you can apparently get these, these monuments and the monuments don't even go on the board or anything. You just set them next to your player mat to identify that you've done something. Like, that's it. So they've put all this effort into these nicely sculpted monuments, and you don't actually do anything with them at all. And that's, again, just a really strange uh, production decision that they made. I know, I, I suspect they probably did it because Kickstarters do really well with big sculpted minis, and so it probably helped Sell the game just from people seeing it, but it's such a disappointment when you have got something cool like that that doesn't actually get any use in the game. All
1: right? Give me some toys I can play with, some like giant monsters I can slam on Chris's yeah, uh, <laughs> South, with you know, sound bases on <laughs> South Africa and like try to take them out, man. You know,
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you said ninety dollars, I'm I'm thinking about the the TTS and I'm like, what the hell could be in that box that's worth ninety? Is it like free groceries for a month? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's I just didn't I don't see it.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, so the. The company put a lot of money into all that unique art and stuff like that, but when you're thinking yeah. about what you're getting value for components, that there's probably a lot of cost in there. They just put it in strange places, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> what about you, Chris? Uh, y- y- you weren't very hot on it in our first play. So, how did you did that improve this time? And would you be interested in playing it again?
2: Um, I'll put it this way: the first time we played it, I didn't love it. And I really, truly sucked at it and couldn't put a game together. And so I was really kind of down on it. So it was actually kind of a, a, a joke amongst us that Haha, we're going to get Chris to play Vindication again. Um, the second one, I still feel equally lukewarm about it. I got a little bit more this time, but it's basically I just I learned to play, you know, do the puzzle a little bit better. But it, it doesn't I don't feel passionate about it. I'd play it again if, you know, I, I wouldn't skip game night that night if somebody picked it, but um, I wouldn't ask
0: for it. Okay. Yeah, I um I was actually really excited about it after our first play. It was a game that I'd been watching for for a while, and after the first play, I really I liked you know kind of how everything came together. I I, even after the first play, I remember feeling a little like "Hmm," you know that wasn't there was wasn't a lot of exciting moments, but there were some fun things to do, some fun puzzles to try to figure out, and combos to find and things like that. And um, yeah, I think I feel kind of the same way this time. But the fact that I feel the same way. Um, and not more excited about it um, means that I'm not as as psyched about it right like I, after our first play I was like I kind of want to go and buy that you and, know and one of the thing, one of the reasons I didn't was because I started to look into some of the really you know like the strange production you know the cost of the game and what you get out of it for gameplay and 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 so I was kind of like oh, you know I don't know I mean let me let you know maybe after another game or two I'll get I'll be more excited about it and then I'll pick it up I don't think I'm ready to pick it up right now. Like, I think I may request to play it again in the future. I think it, I think after the last play, it had, had had me thinking about it after the game a little bit. And sometimes that's that's exciting to me. If I've got a game that kind of sticks in the back of my mind and makes me think about, oh, I should have done this differently or I should have done this differently. And I think there were a lot of great opportunities for that. Like, this game was not based on the luck of the draw. I definitely could have gone and made different decisions that could have helped my game. And that means that, Hey, that, that motivates me to want to try it again. So I think I may ask to play it again, but I'm not as excited about it as I was after our first play. And it's not a game that I'm going to be like, really, it, there's a lot of games that I probably would choose over it that, that are going to give me some of the same things that I liked, like the combos and the cards and stuff like that.
1: So. This one for me, it, it went from when it was on Kickstarter. I was very borderline. It was the peak of my unrelenting Kickstarterness, where I would kickstart anything. And I'd, elected not to. And then after the first play, I was like, huh. And after this play, it's just a, I'm very glad I didn't kickstart it.
0: Well, you knew something was wrong because you if you didn't back it and you backed like 17 other kickstarters, right. then <laughs> something must have been telling you not to not to pick it up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right. What's going on here? Your subconscious was tipping you off when it when it really does. Right.
0: All right. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that'll wrap up our conversation on vindication tonight. Uh, so we'll wrap up tonight with one final question, as we always do. Is there anything that's getting you guys excited about in gaming this week? And if you guys don't mind, I'll jump in first on this one. Uh, so uh, about a year ago, um, I don't know if you guys know who Gil Hova is, but he is one of the hosts of the Ludology podcast. So, um, or he, he's, I think the only remaining original host, I haven't been listening to it much lately, but it used to be him and Jeff Engelstein, uh, when I was listening to it regularly. And they, the two of them put on, uh, basically board game design podcasts. So they talk about a lot of current designs and mechanisms and things like that. Really interesting, you know, even if you're not a designer, if you just like, the, you know, the game industry. Anyway, so he has put out a couple of successful games or reasonably successful. The networks is supposed to be great. I haven't had a chance to play it. But he put out a game last year called High Rise, went out on Kickstarter. And it's a it's a city building game. Um, and I remember being kind of surprised by the campaign because I was interested in him as a designer, a personality. But all the Kickstarter videos were all You know, like when you see a Kickstarter game out, you see basically it's final production. You see final art with it. You see what the board's going to look like and everything. The Kickstarter videos, when it went live, looked like a prototype. It was like, it looked like the type of thing that you'd see if you printed up, you know, put something together in Illustrator with some black lines and circles and and stuff like that. Anyway, um, that first first Kickstarter ended up failing. He he finally got uh, Quan Shai Moriai to do the art for it. So he relaunched the Kickstarter with, real art. Uh, He put some better videos in there, changed the pricing and some of the mechanisms, stuff like that. Ended up re-releasing it and it did fund. Um, And I was watching it closely the whole time just because I was rooting for him. Like I was interested in the game, but you know, I don't back a whole lot of stuff. So I didn't end up backing it, but I was rooting for him. He did just barely made it over the backing level. Like he was looking for 30,000, I think to back last time and he got it over. So he, uh, but it was, it was successful It's I've heard nothing but good reviews about it. And the game just looks really fun to me. It looks kind of interesting. Um, It's like a city building game where you're kind of doing the um, kind of like um, Glenmore two, where you're moving around a a circle and, and, you know, essentially jumping ahead. So whoever's in the lead waits until the other players come up behind and parks one more, you know, those types of mechanisms. Anyway, it looks pretty interesting the way it's all laid out. So we just released it on Kickstarter and he added an, an add-on so that the cities, which were just big cardboard cutouts or the towers, they now have big, huge plastic components that you can get with it. And they look really nice. They're really cool sculpts, really fits with Quan Chai art on the rest of the board. So the production looks beautiful. I've heard the game's great. It went live a couple days ago, and he hasn't quite gotten to funding yet again. So the funding level is a little bit higher but I'm just rooting for him again. So I went ahead and backed it mainly for, I think for the first time ever, I think I backed a campaign, not because I probably would have backed it otherwise, because I think I would just wait for retail or just pick it up in retail now, but I just rooting for him and I wanted to succeed. So I backed it. So that's the one thing I, I think, you know, people should check it out. It's called High Rise. It's a really, it's supposed to be a fantastic game. It looks really interesting. It's got a really cool production with it. And I'm not sure, you know, sometimes why things don't do as well as other, you know, other Kickstarters that that don't don't seem as good, so I'm uh, I'm hoping this one succeeds. What about you guys? Anything interesting? We've actually got
2: something uh, uh, on. Well, I've got something on my mind, and that is, uh, I think, a few weeks ago I had mentioned to you guys that I'm I'm on a national park quest right now, which I'm kind of tying with my board games. And um, for those who hadn't listened to us before, I'm on an epic cross country national park trip with my family right now. Uh, Tim is actually watching our cats so shout out to Tim for that (laughs) Uh, and one of the things that I was going to do was I brought my my parks game with me my parks board game and at every park I was going to go to the visitor center and get the national park stamp which for those who are national park geeks like I am there is a passport stamp and I was going to stamp on each of the cards for each park that I visited the passport stamp on my game card so Sure enough, we showed up at Redwoods uh, National Park in Northern California, and I bring my card into the visitor center, and they were not doing it because of COVID, so they didn't want people handling oh, a stamp.
0: Man. But they were ha- oh. so they were
2: handling they were handing out little sheets of paper with the stamp on it. And you paste it into your book, so I was a little bit bummed out. Oh, but then the next place we stopped, which was Whiskeytown National Recreation Area, uh, not a full fledged national park, but you know part of the same system. And they were doing stamps, and so I thought, okay, next stop, I'm ready to go. So the next stop was Lassen Volcanic National Park, also in Northern California, like North Central California. And I'm like, I'm ready this time. So I brought my card in. I go into the visitor center. Not only were they not doing the stamps, they were handing out little stickers with the with the stamp on it, which was of no use to me. But I get back to the car, and I'm like. Where's my card? Oh no! I, I like lost my game card, and so I'm like running, I'm running around the parking lot. I'm I'm running. I'm like my wife's kind of looking at me like I've gone crazy. And then finally, I'm getting in my car to like you know head out of there with like you know tears in my eyes. And I look down, and <laughs> there it is underneath the car. It's fallen out of my pocket. Ooh. So I may not have gotten my stamp, but at least at, at least I got my card back. So next stop this coming week is yellowstone which we're expecting to be a highlight of the trip and i'm just really hoping i can find myself an actual stamp that i can put my actual hands on and stamp my card
1: so wish me luck good luck chris (laughs) i am yeah wishing you the best of luck yellowstone is going to be great stamp or no stamp it's going to be it's amazing so i'm looking looking forward to hear hearing about your time yeah just don't mess with the bison we yeah. <laughs> don't, don't we don't want, want you gored or the moose or elk yeah I, I hear the
2: bison will take your pants off for those who hadn't seen that uh, youtube video
0: what is fl- flipping someone in their pants when flying off or something like that
2: oh yeah they like the the this woman uh went after one of them like trying to get way too close to it and the bison like reached down to, it basically shoved its horn up underneath her belt and then started flinging her <laughs> around her pants came off it was like it, bad, bad news.
0: Don't do it. Oh, you're you're going to be the one that's there. So take your own advice. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And Adam, anything uh, anything you want to chat about before we wrap up?
1: I want to piggyback on High Rise. I remember being so captivated by that by Moria's art. That was a uh, like a background on my cell phone for for a oh, whole yeah. year. As soon as I saw that art, so that's how I know. Wow. That's how I know High Rise. Impressive.
0: Nice. Nice. I, I think it's going to fund this time. I mean, I think it was up at like 33,000 or something today out of 50,000 and it's just a couple of days into the campaign. So it'll probably do fine. Just, uh, you know, in the day of Kickstarter is typically funding, you know, in 30 minutes or an hour or whatever. Right. M- maybe it's that I'm not following, you know, some of the more indie games too often, but I'm yeah, rooting for any,
1: any, anything else? No, in general, I have nothing I am looking forward to worth mentioning in the board game world. So maybe next week. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Uh, Great discussion today. That'll wrap us up
0: on this episode of Board Game Hot Takes. You can find us on Twitter at BG underscore Hot Takes, on Facebook at Board Game Hot Takes, and on BoardGameGeek.com under Guild 3804. Tell us what you thought of our takes on the game we played today. We'd love to hear from you. Until next
1: week. Take care, everybody. Later, guys. Good night, everyone.